I want us to turn in our Bibles this morning one more time to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll read one verse of Scripture there and then 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Reading one verse of Scripture there. Um, we are in a series of studies. I mentioned to the church at the first of the year that I really felt impressed of the Lord to just go back and start with the basics. And um, it was my intention to begin a new converts class, but I, I really felt like we would just, rather than considering it new converts, consider it newcomers, and, and then we'd include the faithful as well, and those that have been around for a while, and I just thought there's really no better time to go back through the basics than on a Sunday morning when everybody can be here, except of course our Sunday school staff, and we appreciate them and what they are doing, and um, appreciate the effort that they're putting forth. But I, I really felt that it would be good to just go back and review, as I said, the basics of living for God and what this experience is all about and what was supposed to be just the first lesson, the first week, has evolved and uh, we are actually in our sixth installment on lesson one. Well, that is a bit of a surprise to me. I, I really didn't expect to be spending six weeks on lesson one. Lesson one is the most basic of all the lessons, and I did not expect that I'd spend six weeks. I really hope that I get through lesson one today, and we can move on to lesson two next week. Um, but we'll see what happens. Maybe seven is the number of completions, so maybe I've got to put it off one more week. I don't know. But we'll do what we can today. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 2, the apostle writes, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And then turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and reading verse number 20. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20, which I think it'll make more sense why this is a part of my text uh, as I get into today's portion of the lesson 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20 says, For you are bought with a price. Therefore, or because you've been bought with a price, because you are not your own, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Both your body and your spirit have been purchased by God. 
And because he purchased us, we really don't have the say-so. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but listen, if we're going to call him Lord, that word, as, as this church knows, I'm fond of saying words mean things. And the word Lord has a very specific meaning. It doesn't mean somebody that I talk to once in a while. It doesn't mean somebody that I believe in. That's not what Lord means. Doesn't even mean um, somebody that I love. The word Lord has a very specific connotation behind it. It means He is the controller over us. That's what a Lord is. He's the one who should be in control of us. Jesus said to his disciples, you call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. But he said, but if I am your Lord, then do the things that I tell you to do. For if you don't obey him, he is not your Lord. You may love Him. You may have a relationship with Him. But until you are submitted to Him fully, He is not your Lord. And, and so, <clears throat> we, need to, we need to understand what it is we're saying when we Refer to him as our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that bought us. He's the one that owns us. He's the one that calls the shots in our life. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Amen. You can put your Bibles down. Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our hearts. Let's ask the Lord to talk to us today. Amen. We need his touch today. And uh, so let's, let's pray together, everyone, right now, Lord. Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, let's worship him together, everyone, before we're seated, can we do that, let's give God some praise together, I love you, Jesus, I worship you, Master, I glorify you, God. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now you can hear my, my voice is just a little rough this morning. And I, uh, normally my sweet wife, uh, 
every Sunday morning will fix me a hot tea uh, with a special concoction that a preacher's wife gave us um, that I use to clear up my throat. And uh, it, it seems to, to work well. It's tastes nasty, but it works well. It's got cayenne pepper in it and a lot of the, um, uh, apple cider vinegar and I don't know what all. Anyhow, tastes nasty, but it does seem to work. This morning I got up and my voice seemed clear and I told my wife, I said, don't worry about fixing me a tea today. I'm okay. I should have known better. <clears throat> so you're just going to have to deal with it this morning uh, as rough as it sounds. And um, we, we got a message earlier that someone listening online uh, said that the mics sounded like they had a lot of static. So let me just tell you that what you're hearing now is not static. That's just my throat. It's my throat that has static this morning. But uh, we'll get through this. Amen. Let me do a brief review as I like to do each week for the sake of those who may not have been able to be a part of each lesson. Um, we, we started out some weeks ago just talking about the new birth and what it is and what it's all about. Uh, drawing the parallels between the spiritual new birth and our natural birth talking about the many ways that, that the natural birth can be a type and shadow of the spiritual birth and the things that we can learn uh, when we look at uh, that child that is born into a family and the things that a child has to learn and to go through and then drawing the parallels to a spiritual birth. Of course, I spent uh, one entire week just dealing with what the new birth really is because scripturally, there is an answer to that question, what is the new birth? Scripturally, the new birth is not believing on Jesus. That's not the new birth. Nicodemus asked Jesus how a man could be born again, and Jesus was very clear in his response. He did not say, just believe on me and you're born again. He said, you've got to be born of water, and you've got to be born of spirit. And then we spent an entire week talking about what that means. And you can go back and find those lessons on our website if you didn't hear them. I don't have time this morning to reteach them. But to be born of water, I showed you in the scripture, means to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. To be born of the spirit means to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. And I showed you that not by my opinion, but through the pages of the Scripture. And so then we went on to talk about uh, how being a new child of God affects us and the things that, that take place in our lives because we have been born again. And as we read in our text, the Apostle Peter gave us some good advice when he said, look, you need to desire the sincere milk of the word. Desire the sincere milk of the word. That word sincere is really a very interesting word because when you trace its origins back, the, the Greek word that was translated sincere, you trace its origins back, it really, uh, really speaks of 
not uh, not having a false face and and uh, wax that was used that that could melt under um, a hot sun and um, that that when something was sincere it, it wouldn't melt like that it wouldn't it wouldn't disappear it would stand the test of time and this is what Peter said we need to desire that milk of the word and of course he's He's talking about the basics um, because he, he says as a newborn babe. And so newborn babes can't eat steak. They can't, they can't eat enchiladas, poor things, and um, burritos and lasagna. And, and I'm about to make you hungry and I'm going to have to dismiss and let you go eat. But, but. Newborn babes can't, their, their, their system is not ready for that. Milk is what they need. It's, what, it's the way God created them to begin their existence. And so Peter and Paul as well uses this same analogy that, that when you're first born into the kingdom, don't try to devour the meat, the strong things in the scripture. This is one reason why I tell saints of God, don't try to correct new converts. Leave that to the pastor. Sometimes you can be handing a new convert a piece of steak and their system's not ready for it. They can choke on it. So don't do it. I encourage new folks. They say, where should I start reading my Bible? Look, whatever you do, don't start in the book of Revelation, all right? Don't, don't, don't start there. Great book, wonderful book, but don't start there. That's not milk, I promise you. That's not, that's not where babies need to start their spiritual existence. And, um, uh, you know, even some of the Old Testament prophets, not a good place to start. But you want to start somewhere, uh, start with the Gospels. That's, that's a good place to start. Just... Just get introduced to this, this one whose name is Jesus. Get to know his life. Get to know what he did and, and the purpose behind his existence. And, and then move into the book of Acts and learn about the early church. These are good places to start. Uh, even getting into the epistles, sometimes you're starting to get into some meat that your system may not quite be ready for. And, and so we have to learn to distinguish between the milk and the meat. But let me tell you, even as an adult, there are some times, uh, there's some times that, that uh, you know, I get a bit of an upset stomach or some acid reflux, and I found out that some milk will help calm that down. So milk is not just for babies. And sometimes we as spiritual adults, just getting some good milk once in a while kind of helps settle some things in our spirit and heart as well. And so it never hurts for us to go back and look at the basics and re-examine the basics and understand once again what this is all about. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes it's easy for us to lose sight of what it was like to be a new convert. And some of you that were raised in and around the church, you never really knew what it was like to come in off the streets 
and be introduced to a whole new world. You know, I, I've been going to Africa. It's amazing. This year we celebrate 10 years of A to Z missions. But it's really been 22 years since my first trip over there. And even after 22 years, I'm still learning things about their culture. I still make mistakes once in a while in doing something because I'm used to American culture. And, and it can be offensive to them because their culture is so different. After 22 years, I'm still learning a new culture. And I'm telling you that, that when you come into the kingdom out of the world, it takes time to learn the kingdom culture. It really does. And sometimes new folks can feel absolutely overwhelmed at what they see, at what they hear. They don't understand what's going on. This is where it does us good to remember what it was like to be a to be a, a, a physical child and to be a spiritual child. It does us good to remember that as young children physically, naturally, we were introduced to things we didn't understand. We were introduced to things that our minds couldn't comprehend. And we looked at them from our childish perspective. And boy, how perspectives change as you grow. They really do. At least they should. As children, our favorite toy breaks, and, and it seems like the whole world has fallen apart. As adults, we shouldn't be that way, although I have met a few adults that were that way about some of their possessions. But we shouldn't be. We should come to appreciate that there are more important things in life than what we possess. Relationships are far more important. That's one of the things that I appreciate deeply about the African people is they are much more relationship-based than we are in Western culture. Everything's about relationship. It, it took me a while. You know, Brother Goff, if, if I need to send you a message, I, I just send you a text and I say, hey, brother, have you thought about this? Or, hey, what do you think about this? And, and I never think twice about it. But, but I've learned that's not appropriate with most of the African people that I deal with. I need to start off with, how are you? I hope you're doing well. There needs to be some way of relating to them as an individual before I get down to the business I'm dealing with. We as Americans, you know, it's just business, business, business. It's just one thing on top of the other. We've we got to deal with this and we're done with it. That's all there is to it. But, but it's, and that's why, you know, we've, we've sometimes talked about African time. Um, this was one of the hardest things for me to to adjust, and we've got a sister here from Africa. I think she can confer what she can, she can um, uh, agree with what I'm saying here, but it, it was hard for me to adjust because, you know, I'm punctual. I want things started on time. 
But with them, starting on time wasn't nearly as important as spending time with people. And so sometimes getting started may be 30 minutes, an hour late. But they're going to first spend that time in relationship. And, and that's just not the way we Americans operate. Everything's structured around time. And so it's hard for us to adjust. And listen, in the same way, we've got to remember that when somebody comes into the kingdom of God, everything is different. It's a different worldview. The old things have totally passed away. The whole world, well, not the whole world, but all of America right now is consumed with what's going to happen tonight. What happens at the Super Bowl is more important than anything else to them. And that's all they can think about. It's all they can talk about. Well, I'm interested in what's going on in the church right now. I'm interested in service tonight. I'm interested in having church tonight. I'm interested in seeing souls saved. I'm, what, what happens at the Super Bowl is irrelevant to me. It's just a different perspective when, when you're in the kingdom of God. There are things that take higher precedent in the kingdom. And so we've got to learn this, and, and we've got to learn, those that have been around for a while, have got to learn to be patient with those that are new. We've got to understand that they haven't gotten a full grasp of a kingdom perspective. In fact, I, there, there are people that have been living for God for 20 years or more who've never really gotten a full grasp of a kingdom perspective. And so it's important that we understand this. And so we, we, we've dealt with the new birth. We've talked about what it's like to be a young child. We've talked about the conversion. Um, the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, look, when you come into the kingdom of God, the old things are passed away and all things, all things have become new. It's a different world living for God. And it's difficult, it's difficult for us as Americans, it's difficult when I go to other countries for people to understand that suddenly in the kingdom of God, our natural culture is not what takes precedent anymore. It's kingdom culture that matters. And kingdom culture is not limited to national boundaries. It's not limited to racial or ethnic groups. Kingdom culture applies to everybody, everywhere, at all times. There's never a time that as a child of God, we are not a part of God's kingdom. And so His kingdom culture ought to be first and foremost in our lives. And so I began talking last week, and I've... I abbreviated four weeks of lessons in just uh, a few minutes there. But 
Last week, we started talking about our spiritual identity and learning who we are. And I introduced it by saying, you know, as a child, sometimes it takes time for them to reach a place where they really learn to understand and or appreciate their position within a family. They, they, you know, they know the word mama, they know the word daddy, uh, they might know some word for brother or sister, but it takes a while before they really comprehend what that means and before they understand that being a part of the family uh, involves certain privileges and also certain responsibilities. And this is true in the kingdom of God. Now, last week, we, we started talking about some of the privileges of being in God's kingdom. Because when we are born into this family, the fact that we are born here means that we are now children of the king of kings. We are the sons and daughters of the Lord of lords. Now, that, that ought to be exciting to us. We should never get tired of hearing that. It ought to be something, number one, for which we are extremely thankful because we don't deserve this position. We're not worthy of this place in this royal family. But God chose to adopt us into his family. And what an honor that he would do that. He picked us. He put us here and when he did the Bible said that he made us heirs. And that's a powerful thought. How wealthy is our heavenly father? How much does he own? How much does he control? I don't want to get too sidetracked in all of this, but, but let me ask you something. If, if, if uh, Elon Musk was your daddy, would you go to bed tonight worrying about your bills? I think that you would feel comfortable that if something came up, you could approach your dad and he'd help you out of a bind. And never miss it. Right? I, I think that, that if that were the situation, you wouldn't be worried about your job situation. You wouldn't be worried about a sickness in your family. Because you know that daddy has the resources to take care of things. Well, let me tell you one far richer and far more powerful than Elon Musk is your heavenly father. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but more than that, he's the creator of those hills. He, owned, he owns the gold that's in those hills. Listen. The God that is your father, the Bible says he can turn the hearts of kings. And the scripture gives us examples of him doing exactly that. The king of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world, 
suddenly one day said, you know what? I'm going to send these Jews back home. And I'm going to give them the money and the means to rebuild their homeland and their temple. Now this was a, this was a heathen king. And, and, and as I pointed out, I think during my lesson on jots and tittles, I think is when it was, that, that, you know, a lot of people questioned whether any ruler would ever let go of captives. That it just was unheard of until they found archaeological evidence that he had not only let the Jews go, he'd let several other captive nations go back to their freedom. It was a very unusual thing, is my point, for any ruler to do what Cyrus did. But you know why he did it? Because there's a ruler over Cyrus. And he turned Cyrus's heart. And let me tell you, whatever your situation is, the God we serve is able to change hearts. If he can change the heart of King Cyrus, don't you think he can change your boss's heart? Don't you think he can change your husband's heart? Don't you think he can change your lost child's heart? Don't you think he can do something great and powerful? This is your father. He chose. Now, I know that we call him Lord and, 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 and we recognize him as God. But understand, saints, he chose for us to call him Father. He wants that kind of relationship. In fact, the psalmist said we're the sheep of his pasture. Well, you want to see somebody that loves animals, get around a real shepherd. A real shepherd. We don't see many of them here in America today. Go over to the Middle East and, and watch some of those, the way they handle their flock. Now, I've, I've known of people here in America that, you know, that love their dogs or cats that way. Um, giving them funerals and, and uh, contrary to popular rumor, I did not preach a dog's funeral. I was there, but I didn't preach it. That's another story for another day. Um, they tried to trick me into preaching it. But I stood my ground. A dog's a dog. And, uh, you know, well, I won't even go there. Anyhow, I, I've known people that really, their, their dogs were their kids. I mean, it, that's the way they treated them. That's, it, was, it, it was like their, their whole life revolved around this dog. and I, it's, it's been a difficult thing for me to comprehend. I, I've had pets, and you know, I've had a degree of love for them. Um, but anyhow, but a shepherd, I, I mean... These men and women will 
will sleep with them to protect them. They will, they will carry them when necessary. They, th there is such a relationship between them. And, and this is the kind of relationship that the Bible paints that we are to have with God. And I'm telling you, saints of God, He doesn't want us spending our lives worrying and fretting about problems. Worry is the result. Are you ready for this? Worry is the result of doubt. Now think about what I just said. Worry is the result of doubt. The only reason you worry about something is because you doubt what the outcome will be. And if you doubt what the outcome will be, that means there is a degree of doubt as to whether or not God is going to take care of it. He that cometh to God must what? Must believe. Without what? It's impossible to please God. Faith. Do you understand that, as, as another preacher said some years ago, when you doubt God, you're really calling him a liar. You are questioning God's integrity. We need to learn to put our faith in Him. We need to learn, as I said last week, and I, I really, I've spent way too much time on this this week, but, but as I said last week, it really is His good pleasure. It brings God happiness to meet the needs of His people. And if you were not here last week, I, I, I'm not promoting myself. I, I just, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to last week's lesson. And, and let God give you a revelation of just how much he enjoys providing for his people. My pastor used to get, I don't know if frustrated was the word, but, but he would often tell people that were praying, especially those that were seeking the Holy Ghost, he would say, don't beg. God doesn't want a beggar. If you're begging, that means you don't really believe he's going to do it. Oh, please, God, please, please. And isn't that the way that many of our, let's be honest, the way that many of our prayers are prayed, oh, God, please do this. We're begging God. But when we beg, that means we really don't think he wants to do it. And so don't, don't become a beggar. Why should a child of the king of kings be a beggar? That's why the psalmist said, I was young, but now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging bread. Why should the seed of the king of kings beg? They should not be beggars. 
Hallelujah. You know, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible story, and I don't want to use the whole thing as a good parallel, but, but, but the Bible talks about um, Amnon, David's son, and his friend came in and asked him a question, and the question's a valid question. Now, what all transpired because of it, it's another story, and we won't get into all that, but his but his friend asked him, he said, why art thou, being a king's son, lean from day to day? Why are you grieving? Why are you doing without when you're the king's son? It, it blew his friend's mind that a king's son would be lying in want when his dad was the most powerful man in the kingdom and could give him anything. And I want to ask you, child of God, why art thou, being a king's son or a king's daughter, lean from day to day? Why are you worried? Why are you troubled? Why are you bothered? Why are you pacing the floor at night? Why are you chewing your fingernails to the quick? Why are you fretting over your situation when your father is the king of kings? Learn to trust in him. Learn to believe in him. Learn to let him provide for you. My God shall provide all your need according to his riches in glory. He shall, he shall, he shall, he shall. That's what the Bible says. And I like the last part of that, according to his riches and glory. In other words, you can get worried when God goes bankrupt. As long as God's got riches, they're available. Well, praise God. As long as God sits on the throne... He's as close as the mention of his name. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You don't have to be concerned. God is watching out for his people. Jesus said it this way. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't do one thing for God's kingdom. But Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. He said, not one sparrow falls from its nest that your heavenly father doesn't see it happen. He provides for the birds. And they don't do anything for the kingdom of God. Why would he not take care of his people? Why would he not meet our needs? What glory does God get out of his people living in want? 
well, maybe I'll get finished with this lesson today and maybe I won't. But I don't apologize for where I am right now. I really feel like I'm talking to somebody. That somebody needs to lift your heart in faith. Somebody needs to put your trust in God. And believe God's going to take care of your situation. God's going to solve this problem. Make it a matter of prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything. Everything to God in prayer. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He's able, he's able, he's able, he's able. So we didn't really finish that verse a while ago, but he that cometh to God must believe. Believe what? That, first of all, that he is. We must believe that he is. Check. We got that one. And what? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's where some of our boxes go unchecked. Believing that God will reward us when we diligently seek him. But God wants you to believe that. God wants you to know you are his child. In fact, let's go ahead. Let's get into at least some of the scriptures on today's list. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22. 1 John 3 and 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You know, let's, let's be honest. Have you ever come home and found your kids had cleaned up a mess or um, done something you didn't specifically ask them to do that really pleased you and you said, okay, what do you want? Uh, maybe I should say it this way. Wives, you ever had your husband... <laughs> Uh, or a husband sit down at the table and there's his favorite meal and say, okay, what do you want? John says, you know, when we do those things that please God, whatever we ask, God gives it to us. If we'll just keep his commandments and do the things that makes God happy. You know, he, he's not talking about doing some monumental task here. He's talking about just living for God day to day. Just trying to make God happy. 
with the life that we live. Treating others right. I heard a, I heard a, a Jewish rabbi last night um, make a statement that I thought really was so profound. He said, he said, there is, there are two areas of relationship to which we are obligated and, and which affect us. And he said, that's the things that are above and the things that are below. And he said, we receive from what is above. And then we are obligated to give to what is below. That's life. That's the way we should see life. We receive from God. And Jesus said it this way, freely you've received, now freely give. And so we, we have an obligation. Treat our brother right, treat our sister right. Maintain a good attitude. Even when people cut us off in traffic. Even when those red and blue lights pull us over. Remember that if we weren't doing something wrong, they probably wouldn't have pulled us over in the first place. Um, keeping a right spirit, keeping a right attitude. Treating others the way we want to be treated. Obeying the golden rule. When we do those things that please God, the Bible says that whatever we ask, read it again. We receive of Him. Yeah, start from the beginning. Read it again. And whatsoever we ask. Whatsoever. Is there any limitation in that word? Are there any boundaries on that word? Whatsoever. I want everyone to say whatsoever. Do you understand the full significance of what the Apostle John is saying? Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. There's no limit, church. There's no limit to what God will give his people when we're seeking to please him. That doesn't mean we always succeed, but God knows our heart and he knows we're trying. Right? I mean, let's go back to the example with the children. How many times have children thought they were doing something to please us and they really messed things up in the process? Right? They thought what they were doing was the right thing to do, but boy, did they ever make a mess of it. Well, we, hopefully as parents, get the motive behind the action. And Use it as a teachable moment to say, look, I appreciate what you were trying to do, but this is not the right way to go about it. 
And God is patient like that. God understands. We may miss the mark sometimes, but He knows the intent of our heart. Because He is our Father. Whatsoever we ask. Whatsoever. I want you to say it again. Whatsoever. Whatsoever we ask, we receive. That's the Word of God. Do we believe the Word of God? Do we believe all of the Word of God? Do we believe that all Scripture is inspired of God? Do we believe this one is inspired of God? Do we believe God's the one who breathed this? Through the Apostle John, whatsoever you ask, you receive. When you seek to please God. Now, we can't just live callous lives and go and do what we want to do and, uh, you know, treat people any old way we want to treat them and expect God to give us what we want. But if we're seeking to please Him, then whatever we ask, we receive. Well, praise God. And look, again, He gave us this right to become His children and to become heirs to His kingdom. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. As many as received Him, to them gave He the power To become the sons of God. God gave us the right to be His child. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. But He gave it to me. He walked along, found me in my sin, found me in my deplorable condition. And said, I choose you. Come be a part of my family. Oh, thank God. Look, our children, natural children, regardless of their age, regardless of their level of maturity, they're accepted into the family, right? They're accepted into the family. Adopted children are accepted into a family. They're chosen. They're wanted. And every child of God, regardless of their developmental stage, is received as a son of God. Some are more spiritually mature than others. But all of them are children of God. Some become errant. They err. They stray. When the prodigal came home, the father didn't say, my ex-son is being restored to sonship. My son has come home. He's been out there in the pig pen. He wasted everything I gave him on riotous living. 
He absolutely threw everything away that I worked for. But you know what? He's still my son. Oh, thank God. He's still my son. Now, don't be confused. This is not once saved, always saved. Because he did say, my son was dead. But is now alive. So a dead son doesn't have access to any of the privileges. And it's only when he came back to the father that the father then extended to him once again the rights. So, so that's why I say some children become errant. They stray away. At that point they are spiritually dead. They're not still saved. They're spiritually dead. But if they'll come back, they're still children. <coughs> and the father will recognize them as such. What a privilege we have. What an honor has been bestowed upon us. Amen. Look, you know, th this is what, it boggles my mind when I get to thinking about it. And, and, and a lot of times, somebody mentioned this recently in preaching. I think it was Brother Goff mentioned this recently in preaching that he's heard me in my prayer. Many times in, in my prayers, I'll, I'll say to God, what is man? This is from the scripture. What is man? that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him. And the scripture goes on to say, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. I mean, we don't even fit into that realm of the angels. We're lower than that. But God never called an angel son. We are his sons. We are his daughters. We are his children. And yet we're nothing but glorified dust. Really, that's what we are. God formed man from the dust of the earth. We didn't, we didn't evolve from apes. We didn't, we didn't come out of some amoeba somewhere over billions and billions of years. I guess you got to say it that way to be smart. I don't know. No. A loving, compassionate God reached down with his own hand. Every other creation he spoke into existence. Everything. Including the apes. Everything else that exists, God spoke it into existence. But he made man with his own hands. He fashioned man from the dust of the earth. And breathed into man's nostrils the breath. 
I'm telling you, saints of God, we need to wake up and realize what a privileged group of people we are. We have kingdom privilege. We have kingdom privilege. Apostle Peter, we, we read it in our text. He, he told us to desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word and to grow thereby. Went on to say we should grow in grace. Later in that verse, he talks about the status of those who follow this advice and do that growing the way they should. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. Now the other verses came from chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Now we're skipping down to verses 9 and 10. Listen to what he says. This is after he has instructed us to desire the sincere miracle of the word, to grow in grace. Then this is what he says about us once we've done that. This is verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen You're generation. You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, come on, somebody. I I'm telling you, you're a chosen generation. You're a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. Now, that word peculiar doesn't mean odd. It doesn't mean strange. It means unique. You are unique on the earth in that you belong to God. You are His possession. He loves you. He made you. He made man and man walked away from him. Man sold himself to sin. But you know what this loving God did? He came and bought you back. That's how much he loves you. In fact, the price he paid to buy you back was to give his own life, to shed his own blood. That's how much he loves you. He made you, you sold yourself to sin, but he said, I'll give my own life to buy them back. That's how much God loves you. We sometimes get this idea of this, this, this white-haired, long-bearded old man sitting on a throne with a, with a lightning bolt in his hand just waiting to zap us for some misstep that we make. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not Him. Now, He will judge sin. Ultimately, He'll judge sin. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But I'm going to tell you, God's going to give you every opportunity and He's going to do everything He can do to see to it that you're saved if you want to be saved. In fact, I'm here to tell you, you're going to have to fight hard to be lost. You're going to have to just make up your mind, I'm going my own way. I don't care what God does. I don't care what God says. I'm just going to do things my own way. That's the way you're going to be lost. 
But if you want God's help, he will stop all of heaven to help you out. disciples found themselves on a boat in the midst of a storm. They looked up and thought they saw a ghost. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's, it's me. And they didn't believe it. At least Peter didn't. If it's you. And that's what he said. If, if that's really you, bid me to come walk on the water. What a challenge. There was doubt involved in that statement. You hear me? If it's really you. There's doubt involved. But you know how Jesus dealt with it? One word. I'll show you it's me. You really want to know if it's me? I'll be glad to show you it's me. And Peter started walking on water. And you know what he did then? Doubted again. And you know how Jesus responded? He saved him again. Are we getting a picture here? Are we understanding God is not looking for the opportunity to throw you away. He's looking for the chance to rescue you. God wants to help you. He wants to save you. He's not willing. Somebody get what I'm telling you right now. He's not willing that any should perish. It's not the will of God that you go to hell. He doesn't want you to be lost. He makes a few simple requests of you. Said if you'll just do a few things, I'm going to make sure that you're saved. There is no reason. I, I'm talking to somebody here this morning. But there's no reason for you to go to hell. There is no reason for you to walk out of this service without getting what you need from God. I'm here to tell you, God wants to save your soul. He wants to rescue you. You may feel like you're drowning right now. But if you look up, there is a hand that's reaching down through the waters. He wants to help you. telling you for three and a half years or however long it was exactly many historians say three and a half years I'm not sure that that's absolute settled history but however long it was that he walked with the disciples they doubted him doubted him doubted him doubted him and he never threw him away now one made up his mind to go his own way and was lost because of it. But you know, when you think about Peter, you think about 
We often call Thomas doubting Thomas because of one time in the scripture that he vocalized doubt. And now the name is forever stuck. Doubting Thomas. Well, I see far more doubt coming from Peter. I'm just telling you the truth. Even at the resurrection, the first two apostles to get there was Peter and John. And the Bible says John believed there was a miracle. You know what that means? Because there's two men there. And the Bible says John believed. So you know what that says about Peter? He didn't believe. He's looking at the grave clothes and an empty grave. And he still doesn't believe it. In fact, you know what he said? I'm going fishing. I'm going back to the life I gave up. Read it. It's in your Bible. Peter was plagued with doubt. But Jesus never gave up on him. This may blow your mind, but I'm going to tell you, I think, this is me, this is my opinion. I've always told you when it's my opinion, I would tell you it's my opinion. And, and you can just take it for what it's worth. But my opinion is, if Judas would have repented, the Lord would have forgiven him. I really believe that. I don't believe that Judas was predestined to die lost. I believe if he would have, I mean, I've said it many times, but really what's the difference between what Judas did and what Peter did? Judas got money for directing them to Jesus. But Peter denied the Lord not once. Judas never denied him. Judas sold him out, but he never denied him. Peter denied him three times in one night. Even getting to the place he cursed. He got so scared he started cussing. To try to prove to them I'm not one of his followers. Which ought to say something about our language. If cussing proved he wasn't a follower of Jesus. Then I think we probably shouldn't do that. Doesn't that make sense to you? That's what Peter did. But Peter went out and repented. Judas went out and hung himself. I think if Judas had gone out and repented, I believe the Lord would have forgiven him as well. I could be wrong. And maybe when I stand before the Lord one day, 
if I think to ask him, I can ask him, but I think in my heart, Jesus loved Judas as much as he loved the others. And I believe he would have saved even Judas if Judas would have given him the chance. I'm here to tell you, you haven't gone too far. You've not done too much. If he could take someone like Simon Peter, who walked with him, who saw the miracles, participated in the miracles, performed miracles, and still doubted, if the Lord could take someone like him and make him the great spokesman of Pentecost and use him to open the doors to the Jews, the Gentiles, the Samaritans. You hear me. God is not going to give up on you because you make some mistakes. Or even do some things wrong. If you're willing to come back to him and repent, he's willing to take you back. That's the God that I serve. And I'm glad it is. I'm glad he's long-suffering. I'm glad he's merciful. I'm glad he's compassionate. Anybody else feel that way? I'm glad. I'm glad he's not looking for a reason to throw me away. We didn't finish our verse, and, and, and my, my time's slipping away. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, we started here. Let's read it again, 1 Peter 2 and 9. But ye are a chosen You're a generation. Chosen genera You've been chosen. You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. And holy nation. You're a holy nation. A peculiar you people. You are a unique people. That you should show forth the praises of him. And here's what he asks. He asks you to show forth his praises. Who have called you because out of darkness. he called you out of darkness. Into his marvelous, into his marvelous light. light. And then Peter says this in verse 10. Which in time, in past, time past were not a people. You were not a people. But are now the people but of now God. now you're the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy. In time past you had not obtained mercy. But now but have now obtained mercy. God has shown you mercy. Peter's, Peter's quoting here from the prophet uh, Haggai who had such a you talk about a unique life the Lord told him to go marry a harlot yeah he told him and after they were married, you know what she did? She went right back to her harlotry. And God said to him, go buy her back. Do what? Read it. It's in your Bible. 
I'm not making this up, and I'm not telling you some historical record. It's in your Bible. Go marry a harlot. She returns to harlotry. God says, go buy her back. And God said, because this is my people. I was married to them. They started serving other gods. But I'm going to take them back. They had two children, one of which was given a name not having obtained mercy. And the other was given a name not a people. That's what their names meant. But Peter says, here's the end of this story. That used to be your name, not a people. But now, you're not just a people. You're the people of God. Your name used to be no mercy. But now, you have mercy. Saints of God, this is the privilege that has been extended to us. As new believers, we have a privileged place in God's kingdom. Well, hallelujah. Oh, I wanted to try to finish this lesson. And I don't have that much further to go. But I still got quite a few scriptures to cover, don't I? Oh, Lord Jesus, what to do, what to do. I, um, I better stop. Because when I look at it, I've only gone through three of the scriptures I had. And uh, I think I had 13 down to try to cover today. And I got through three of those 13. But we still got 10 more to go. So I'm probably not going to get you out of here by noon if I keep going. And so I better just... Stop where we are. And this is really a good place to stop is on a positive note of what a privilege it is for us to serve God. What a privilege to be called His child. To know that He loves us this much. Musicians come. Look, look. If we think about it, with our own kids. I want to ask you, is there anything your child could do that would cause you to say, this is not my child? I, I can't think of anything, but maybe, maybe there's something, but I... My kids haven't always done exactly what I wanted. There's times they've disappointed me. There's times I feel like they've made some really tragic mistakes. But at no time did I say, you're no longer mine. I want nothing more to do with you. Sometimes they made tragic mistakes. 
And you know what daddy did? Exactly what you would do. Stepped in and tried to bail him out if I could. I didn't sit back and gloat and say, I told you so. Even though I may have told them and told them and told them. Those words didn't come out of my mouth. My heart just ached for the grief they experienced. And I want them to know, Daddy's still your Daddy. And I still love you. And I'm still here for you. Now, how much more do you think our Heavenly Father is going to think about us? I'm sure sometimes our actions and attitudes prove that. But not to the point that He says, I'm walking away. Because He made a promise. I will never leave you. He didn't say you can't leave me. But he said I want you to know. I won't leave you. I will never. Forsake you. He said I am with you always. Even to the end of the world. Our King James Bible says world. The, the Greek word there is actually. The end of the age. I, I'm, I'm with you to the very end. So even when the world ends, we're still going to be with each other. Even if your world falls apart, he's still your father. In fact, we, we don't see this in the English, but, but in, in one place the Apostle Paul said, we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba. Th that word Abba is, is an Aramaic word. It, it, it doesn't really mean father. It, it really would be better translated daddy. It's a term of absolute endearment that, that a child has. I mean, it's one thing to call someone father. But to call him dad. There's a lot of men today that are fathers that are not dads. There are some men that have stepped up and become dads that are not the child's father. There is a difference between just father, which is a biological relationship, and dad. As the Apostle Paul said, what God's done for us Makes us cry, Abba. We cry, Daddy. We look to him as much more than just the one who has begotten us through the Spirit. So he's that one we can run to. 
Sister Joan Ewing many years ago wrote a song. Her husband sang so beautifully. He said, sometimes the little boy in me wants to climb on daddy's knee. And the world outside gets too big for me. And the chorus said, simply hold me. Hold me. I'm so afraid of the storm. I'm glad that he's not just my father. I'm going to tell you, there's been many storms in my life where I've run to him and like a child crawled up in his lap and said, Daddy, hold me. I don't know how to deal with don't know how to face what's going on in my life right now. Daddy, hold me. I'll be safe in my Father's arms. Let's lift our hands and love Him right now. Let's stand, everybody. Let's stand up. Is there anybody that would like to come to these altars this morning? Maybe somebody here needs to run. Crawl up in daddy's lap. 